Trinity. What have we been thinking about it the wrong way all this time? Let's talk about it with Michael Reeves on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're, we're so glad that you join us. You always have a seat at our table. And if you were wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. And uh, Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here. You should know that Matthew is a substance abuser, abuser and uh, that substance, especially this time of the year, is sugar cookies. And, and our producer, Jinx, is working hard in his little glass booth. And since today is the last day of the year, Jinx, did you get your resolutions done? Yes. For I only have one. <laughs> oh, did I get my? Did I actually finish them this year? Absolutely. And good for you. I only have one, and it's to say no more often. <laughs> I can do that. It In works fact, well. I was doing pretty good with that before the year broke. Yeah. So this next year, I'm going to say no even more often. Okay, I'll join you in that. Our video director and one man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. I won't ruin any surprises, but John is working on some exciting changes for this show. Be sure and tune in next week to see those changes. And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. Uh, while a medical doctor gives a checkup, Dr. Bingham asks for a check, please. <laughs> and Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. The economy has gotten so bad, Kathy has listed her gingerbread houses on Airbnb. <laughs> we have a great guest and one of our favorite uh, today. He talks funny, but he's okay. Uh, Dr. Michael Reeves. He holds a PhD from King's College in London. Also serves as president and professor of theology at Union School of Theology in the UK. He's authored numerous books, including Rejoice and Tremble and Gospel People, A Call to Evangelical Integrity. And about 10 years ago, Michael wrote a book, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, and it's called Delighting in the Trinity. An Introduction to the Christian Faith. I read this book when it was first published, and it was a game changer in my life. It didn't change what I thought theologically about the doctrine of the Trinity, but it changed everything else. All of a sudden, it wasn't on the back burner. I was waving it as a banner every place I went. And as part of the 75th anniversary, it's the microphone, as part of the 75th anniversary, InterVarsity Press has reprinted Michael's book in a series of special editions they considered to be iconic. 
And this book certainly is that. Michael, thank you for being with us. Steve, great to be with you. I thought I was the only one around here who didn't talk funny. (laughs) (laughs) We might need some instructions. Yes, (laughs) that's true. Listen, have you been surprised when you wrote this book? Did you think that it was good? You know, it's not the kind of book. And you mentioned this in the book. It's not a how to book. And it's not the kind that has a title. If you show it in a book, it's going to draw thousands of people to it. I'm sure you felt some people were going to read it. Have you been surprised at the impact this has had? I I have been a bit surprised, really, um, but absolutely thrilled. Because while I think people instinctively want a how-to book, what I saw is I think Most people have got a deeper problem than how to. I think among Christians, you see so many who just have a sneaking suspicion that God is unlovely, undesirable, maybe correct, ought to rule over them, and therefore they owe him duty, but it's given grudgingly. And so there's not a delight in him. And among non Christians, I see an increasing tendency in our culture to think that God is a monstrous bore or a tyrant. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you see increasingly people simply not saying I'm agnostic or I'm not so religious, but increasingly saying, I don't want there to be such a being as God. That's what I wanted to blow apart. Well, mm. you did. And as a side, you've got to get this book. You really do. It's a life changer. And um, and uh, Michael is funny. You don't expect the English or theologians to be that, but he's he's both. And you'll find yourself laughing as you read through this book and you you'll find yourself um learning some significant things in which you will delight. Uh, Michael, we do uh, teach here at Key Life that God is love and he's not mad at his people and you can delight in him. And we laugh a lot, but very rarely is that connected with the idea or the doctrine or the truth of the Trinity. Um. You say that's front and center. That's the reason or one of the significant reasons we can talk about God's love. Talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. The the truth is God is love because God is Trinity. And I think the reason people don't see that is they think, look, there's the God I know and love and Trinity. That's the thing for those pasty faced and socially disastrous theologians in the (laughs) Ivy covered seminaries. And, and so, I mean, you know how it is in a discipleship group when young Christian asks, can you just talk about the Trinity with me? You'll get a couple of normal responses. One will be someone will give a holy roll of the eyes and say, ah, the Trinity, ah, oh, the mystery. We're not meant to understand <laughs> such things. And so the poor young Christians left thinking, well, oh, what's this got to do with me then? Or you're told, do you know, I've got a really helpful illustration here. God's like a, a leaf with three bits sticking out of it. Or my favorite, God's like H2O, but actually my real favorite 
God is like an egg. <laughs> he, he's he's a shell, a white, and a yolk. It's three things, and yet they're one thing. And you think, yeah, I'm really going to worship a god because <laughs> 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 an egg. <laughs> what, what, what I wanted to show people is, look, Christians don't believe in the Trinity because they sense his similarity to streaky bacon, bacon three-headed giants, um, H2O. Christians believe in the Trinity because of Jesus Christ. John said he wrote his gospel, John 20, 31 so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, when you go through Jesus, the God you get to know, he is the Son, he's revealing to you a Father. And that puts us on to the really big question, what sort of God do we see in Jesus? A totally different sort of God to the God we imagine every day. Before anything else, before eternity, before he, in eternity, before he created anything, this God is, well, let me put it this way, cliffhanger. <laughs> People sometimes ask, what was, God, what was God doing before he created the world? And the pompous theologian's answer is he was creating hell for those cheeky enough to ask such questions. <laughs> but Jesus tells us in John 17, 24, he says, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the sort of God we're talking about. Eternally, a father characterized by his nature is to love his son. And therefore, you have a God who is love. If you have a single person God, just sitting on his throne all by himself, that's not a God who is eternally loving. And that's the sort of problem you have in a religion like Islam, where you might want to talk about Allah as loving, but eternally he hasn't been loving. It's not part of his nature. And so it is for every single person God. You could only say God is love of this one, a father eternally loving his son as he pours out his spirit on him. Oh, man. Mm. That is so good. And we all have uh, Muslim friends, and and they always bring it up that we believe in three gods, and they believe in one, and then they quote our own scriptures to say there's one on God. And and very rarely do we know what to say in return. And so we say, as you said, it's a mystery and we don't understand it. But it's not a mystery. It's a revelation of great joy for all people. Guys, the name of the book is Delighting in the Trinity. And I know that sounds weird to you, but you can, and this book will change your life. Its subtitle is An Introduction to Christianity. That's as it ought to be, the Trinity. So don't go anywhere just like Jesus. We're coming back. Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. 
At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, We're talking with author Michael Reeves. And we're talking about his classic book. And he was surprised that it became a classic book. And I have said it was a book that literally changed things for me. And I keep his book on my Kindle as well as the hard copy nearby and often refer to it to remind myself of the joy of, believe it or not, the Trinity. Um, Michael, we um, were just talking about uh, the distinction between the Trinity and Allah and certainly other gods that are sort of singular. And I was struck by a a quote, and maybe you can kind of elaborate on it. Um, Absolutely singular supreme beings do not like creation. Can you just talk about that in the context of like Allah and other, other gods compared to the Trinity? That may may not immediately make sense to people, but imagine it like this. Imagine you have a single person God before he's created anything. What's he like? And you could say, well, I've no idea what he's like, but you do know something. He's solitary. So he's never been in a relationship with anyone before. So you've got to ask, why would he want a relationship? (laughs) He's not characterized or defined by relationship eternally. So why would he want such a thing? And so you get to see with the various single gods of different religious systems, when they have a a God who is a single person by himself, the reason why they want a creation is basically one of two reasons. Either they want servants slash slaves, or they want friends. (laughs) In in either case, it's because they're trying to make up for some lack in themselves. Hmm. And quite Hmm. often you have, so Aristotle, a Greek philosopher, had this idea that God is perfect, and so all he wants to do is think about his own perfection, and therefore your existence would actually be an annoyance to him, because he just wants to think about himself. He's not used to relating to anything else. And so, therefore, you you see, when you have these single-person gods, they don't know how to deal with creation. In Mm -hmm. Islam, for example, the hope of the obedient Muslim is to go to paradise where the reward is your rivers of wine and these physical blessings, but you won't get to be with Allah there. And that's not actually what you want to have because this God 
isn't relational. And so again and again, you see single person gods don't like creation. They don't like anything other than themselves. All they'll do is merely tell you how to submit to the way they want things to be done. But that's not relationship. That's just dominance. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think the other thing that comes out in um, this doctrine of creation, I think of another system called Gnosticism, which imagined, imagine, imagine we're in one room together and we are the sum total of reality. Nothing else exists but us. Everything's perfect. Everything's spiritual. Everything's one. And then one of you, you know who you are, has a naughty thought. And we have to throw <laughs> that naughtiness out. And so something exists outside. So suddenly, do you remember there was just this one happy spiritual realm? Everything's fine and divine. And then a second thing, that naughtiness becomes the basis of creation. And so creation itself was viewed as physicality. Uh, bodies was viewed as an evil in and of itself. Now, with that lens on, imagine that's your belief system. Now read Genesis 2. And what you see at the beginning of Genesis 2 is you have in the garden, Adam is alone by himself. And you go, one, great, we love one. And then something happens. Out of the one comes this other being, out of Adam comes this other being, Eve, the woman. And so the Gnostic would say the existence of woman is like the existence of creation. And just as creation to have two is bad because one is one alone is good, so to have femininity, woman, marriage, and not just masculinity, man alone, that is a bad thing. So that for the Gnostics, femininity, woman, is as evil as the existence of creation itself. And so you see in these single person setups, femininity is always veiled, hidden away, looked down upon. Both creation and woman cannot be affirmed as good things by another sort of God other than the triune God. I'm guessing the Gnostics didn't date very much. <laughs> well, do, do you know, I mean, the, the really weird thing is probably where people know Gnosticism from, if they've come across it, is Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. And he was always saying, those nasty Christians, they're the ones who are the intolerant. Um, misogynists, the Gnostics are the sort of proto-feminists. It's the other way round. Mm. Mm. The Gnostics were the misogynists here. Wow. It, it was the Christians who were affirming the goodness of being in the image of God, male and female, that marriage is a good thing. Mm. Mm. You touched on uh, Greek earlier. Um, I wanted to ask, there's a Sorry section... about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you... Um, you have two words, and we can maybe delve into this on the other side of the break. Um, two Greek words. I wonder if you uh, want a hypostasis and ecstasis. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing this perfectly correctly. Um, <laughs> wondered if you could tell us what do they mean and and how do they factor into what we're talking about here? Yeah, sure. They they sound quite unpleasant, but it's wonderful stuff. That hypostasis is is being your being, who you are. 
Ecstasists think ecstasy. It's stepping outside yourself. Mm. What we see with this God is he has his hypostasis, his being in ecstasis, in going out from himself. So think mm. of the father, his very being eternally, his very being is found in giving out, in loving his son. And his son shows what sort of God this God is by, well, that moment of supreme revelation on the cross, he gives himself away. That's the sort of God that we've got. So the sort of image you see right from the very beginning of scripture to talk about what sort of God we have is light shining into darkness. Here's a God who's not a black hole of need sucking in and demanding. Here's a God who is light shining into darkness. His, his being is found in self-giving. He's radiant, generous, overflowing. Oh, man, that's so good. And we're going to find out later that that God has invited us not to be in just a relationship or obedience to him, but into a relationship that has been there from eternity. So they're good at it, and you're going to be able to be a part of it. Guys, this is really hard work, and so we build in these times to have some cookies and take a nap. But we always come back. Hope you do, too. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What do you do for a living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. program is Steve Brown, etc. And if you've listened this far, then I suspect you must like us. If so, then be sure and find this show on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and uh, tell your friends about it, too. Uh, we're talking with Michael Reeves uh, and uh, If you haven't noticed, I'm enthusiastic about this book because of the difference it made in my life. Delighting in the Trinity, an introduction to the Christian faith. And you're thinking, no, it's not. That's not an introduction. Yeah, it is. And if you'll read this book, it not only will impact your life 
this book will change what you thought about the Christian faith and how you've thought it probably for most of your life. Michael, before the break, we were talking about how Jesus invited us not to come and be a servant of the uh, God, well, that too, but to kneel and be obedient and subservient, but into a relationship. Talk about that. I think this is exactly one reason why so many people they're not interested in God, that they feel there's a grudging duty to get through the Christian life because they're thinking God is simply the ruler, I'm the ruled, and that's what we do. But think about what sort of God we've got here. Before he was ever a ruler, before he ruled anything, this God is a father loving his son, pouring out the spirit of his love on him. And if you want an illustration of the Trinity, think baptism, where the son stands in the water and the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased as the spirit rests upon him. And what we're invited to in the Christian life is to stand in Jesus so that that same spirit rests upon us. So we hear those same words, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased because of what sort of God we've got here. It means we're not just invited to, as you say, kneel before a ruler. We're called as children before a father. The spirit rests on us to catch us up into that relationship between the father and the son. And so people often ask, what is it then to be Christian? What, what's the heart of walking in a faithful way? Well, think, what's the father eternally been about? Loving his son. And so when you most love Jesus, and I'm talking about a heartfelt, affectionate enjoyment of Jesus, that's when you're being most like the father. And what's the son like? What's the son being eternally characterized by? Well, Luke 10, Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's what he's like. And so to be most like the son is to enjoy the Father as Jesus has. That's what we're caught up into. That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, to enjoy the Father as the Son does, to enjoy the Son as the Father does, all the while filled with their spirit of comfort and love. That's so different to the mm. drudgery so many people unfortunately imagine. So good. Gabby. Mm. Uh, Michael, uh, Thanks for the illustration about uh, the baptism thing. I, I just have to say this as an aside. Um, I've recently become a Lutheran and we're big on baptism. So thank you. Big on water. Um, uh, I started reading. Uh, this may be turn out to be a really, really good in, uh, initiative. To initiative for people to buy the book. I started when I got my copy, I read, you're not supposed to do this, but I read the conclusion first. Um, and it, interestingly, the conclusion is what made me want to really delve into this book. It, it's just, it's superb. And so much of what you've been talking about thus far, as we've been talking with you is, uh, is just, you just took 
the contents of the book and just wrapped it up so beautifully, like in the things that you've, that you have been saying, um, we don't have, we're going to have to wait until the other side of the break. But one of the things that you talk about in the book is when you mentioned the fact that we all know what we're saved from, but you bring up the point that we are saved for something. And, and I, I, when we get on the other side of the break, I'd like for you to touch on that a little bit, if you could. Um, Michael seems to me before we go to break, give us a succinct definition of the Trinity. Look at the baptism of Jesus. Let's stick with that. Uh What we see at the baptism of Jesus is a God who is a father loving his son as he pours out his spirit of love upon him. So sometimes people talk about, imagine there's a God behind Father, Son, and Spirit. There is no God behind Father, Son, and Spirit. You have to see these three persons in a loving relationship if you are to understand who the living God truly is. No good. I just wanted to see if you would fall into heresy. (laughs) (laughs) I asked you a question. Guys, you've got to listen. This is such a great hour uh, because it's such a great book. Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. What we're going to do is back out for a little while, rest up, and then we're going to come back. You back out for a little while, rest up, and then you can come back too. was irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know... She seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face-to-face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, thanks for joining us for this hour. Uh, Just what a great time. By the way, if you enjoy this show and the other programs at keylife.org, would you help us by telling others about it? It's as easy as clicking like and share and subscribe. And it really does multiply the work of the ministry. Every time you click that, you get three free sins. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't want to over promise, but uh, you might want to try it and see, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. <laughs> uh, Michael, just before the break, um, I I brought up the, the fact that 
I think as Christians, we we pretty much all know what we're saved from. But in the book, you um, you bring up the idea that we're saved uh, for something and asked you if you would go into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that too often the gospel I was brought up with was this idea that Jesus saves you from hell to get heaven. So I think, you know, I was thinking, okay, I'm looking forward to heaven. If Jesus weren't there, would that matter that much? And (laughs) what, what we see with this sort of God is, do you think a God who is a father, whose chief delight is his son, is going to care about primarily giving you some stuff. And yet this is often how we talk, that what is it we get from God? We get this thing called grace to to give us this blessing called heaven. Actually, what does this God give? The Father gives us his son. He comes into the world to be with us, to identify with us, to bring us before his Father so that we might be the children of God. And, and more, we're given not some thing, God himself in the person of the Spirit, that the Spirit comes to be with us. God gives us himself. And that means that the Christian life is not, not some superficial thing about changing our behavior. What does the Spirit do in us? Romans 5, 5, God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he's given us. So the deep first work of the Spirit, the deep ongoing work of the Spirit, is to change our hearts, what we love, what we desire, what we, what we, what we want. And so Our deep problem, according to the Bible, is not that we've done bad things and we need to start doing good things. Our deep problem is that we are, as Paul put it, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of self, rather than lovers of God. And the Spirit is given to us to turn our desires so that we love differently and come to see that Against all our expectations, this God is enjoyable to know. This God is more satisfying, more delightful than anything else, than any other gift he could give us. That we would never have expected. But that's what this God would be about. A relational God would be about giving us himself and calling us to himself. Mm-hmm. Michael, in the book, I, it's so interesting the way you framed it. And uh, I felt kind of seen because, you know, it's like, what's the Trinity? Uh, you know, it's kind of mysterious. Uh, so let's put that over here. Let's get on with the rest of Christianity. And you're like, hold on. This is your framing of understanding who God is in his nature. Um, and if we don't have that, we can kind of maybe be accurate in some of his nature, but understand what it means. So we could say he's glorious or we could say he's, you know, all these things. Those are true, but our understanding of what that means might actually be off if we don't have this proper framework. Could you speak to that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think so many Christians are, are wrecked by this, and, and non-Christians, when they hear Christians talk too, that they hear true statements like, God is glorious, God is holy, and they go, oh. <laughs> I mean, let's so take holiness as an example. I think God is holy can sound to so many people like God is sniffy and aloof. G- God's a heavenly snob. <laughs> and and therefore, does that work badly with this accent that sounds like I'm being snobbish? In, 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 in the way I speak? We love you. Great, great illustration. It's perfect. <laughs> but I, I think people can have that in their heads as they hear God is holy and they think, hmm, okay, so I'm, I, I dread him, but I don't love him. And yet think of who this God is. Holiness is defined by what sort of God we've got. God isn't, so holiness is to do with being set apart. God isn't set apart from us in snobbery, in aloofness, in prickliness. God is set apart from us in that he is not like me when I'm cold and snobbish and vicious in how I treat people and aloof and unkind. He's not like us in that. He's set apart from us in the perfection, the absolute lucidity of his love. And so if you want to know what holiness looks like, think holiness is described by the law. What's the heartbeat of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, look at Leviticus 19, where famously the Lord says, be holy as I'm holy. What do you mean? Well, it starts with bring fellowship offerings to the Lord. A fellowship with him, know him, enjoy spending time with him. And it then means don't be unkind to your neighbor. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Don't cheat the poor. In fact, love your neighbor as yourself. Next words, I am the Lord. Because that's what the holiness of this God looks like. That Holiness is loving because of the nature of this God. He is loving. His holiness is that he is purely loving. And there isn't some nasty flip side to it. Yes, we could say, yes, he'll be full of wrath at evil, but that's not a flip side to his love. I often hear Christians talk like that to say, God is loving, but... He's also holy. I want to say that that's not how it is. God is angry at evil because, well, I get angry if my daughters were being hurt. It's because I love them. Anger is how an ever-loving God responds to evil. Holiness is defining the purity of his spotless love. Mm-hmm. Michael, I wish we had another two hours. You were a delight. And uh, thank you for writing this book and the others. And you keep writing. Uh, We'll keep talking. Some of our guests refuse to return, but you come back. (laughs) And that's a gift. (laughs) Michael, we love you. you, We love you. And we love what you do. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Steve. Great to be with you. Great to be with you all. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Guys, we're going to come back for just a short time and tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. Be sure and join us.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, what a good hour with Michael Reeves. I read his book and I knew after reading it because it's humorous and it's insightful and I can understand it. It's... uh, It's one of those books that goes right to your head and then to your heart and then to your life. And I knew I was going to like Michael Reeves if I ever met him. And eventually, Kathy was able to get him as a guest on this program before this. And every, you know, sometimes you meet people who wrote books and you're greatly disappointed. but not with Michael. He's the real deal. And uh, his book on the Trinity is an absolutely mind-blowing book. It'll change. If you've kind of believed the Trinity because you're supposed to, uh, you're going to love this book because it's not a supposed-to book. It's a book that talks and describes why the Trinity Uh, magnifies the fact that we are loved deeply and profoundly by a God who didn't start loving when he created us. He's been loving for all of eternity. I know some of you don't like the book, The Shack. Uh, Paul's a friend of mine who wrote it, and I suspect there may be some theological things in that book that could have been done better But as a matter of fact, the relationship between the three is kind of an illustration of what Michael's talking about. What's going on between the three persons of the Trinity, their love, their joy in each other's presence, uh, the way they have the same passion and the same understanding. And by the way, because of the Trinity, you're his passion. You're his love. You're uh, his child. And we've been invited to participate, not with an angry God, but with a Trinitarian God who's really into participation. Well, Kathy, who are we going to have next week? Next week, we have uh, Heather, uh, Dr. Heather Clark, who is a clinical psychologist. Um, She's written a book called 52 Tools for Ministry Leaders. The title is Ministry Well. She is a a clinical psychologist with her own practice. She also teaches um, in seminary, and she travels a lot, too. So 
be interesting. You might tell your pastor to watch or to listen next week because we're going to be talking about him or her and some things that will make a difference in your ministry. It's too late for me, but <laughs> not for you. <laughs> hey, join us. We'll come back same time, same place next week. We hope you do too. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth.